0: Okay, so this is going to be a presentation much like I have done. I did a presentation like this two years ago, and I'm going to share my screen. We're going to be looking at some slides today. Two years ago at Rice University, I did a presentation much like this. and uh, uh, Now, can, give me a thumbs up if you're seeing my my screen. All right, I'm going to... Now I'm gonna to talk today, since it's Easter, I'm gonna talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna be speaking about today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Three years ago, Nabil Qureshi had shared at Rice University, and he said, what do all religious scholars from all religious backgrounds agree upon? So if you go to any academic institution, anywhere in the world, religious scholars, whether they be Christians or Jews or Buddhists or, 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 are Muslims? They will agree to this. Islamic uh, or Christian uh, uh, scholars, academic scholars, will agree to this: that Jesus died by crucifixion. This is not something that we just believe. This is this is so much historical evidence that he died by crucifixion. Some even suggest that this is the most solid fact of ancient history: that Jesus died by crucifixion. Number two. The disciples of Jesus believed that Jesus rose from the dead and that he appeared to them. That's what every every uh, uh, academic scholar, religious academic scholar will, will say. And also that certain unbelievers and even enemies of Jesus believed that Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them. For example, Paul and James, they, they, they were both unbelievers when Jesus appeared to them. James being Jesus's brother. And uh, um, so... That, that's already on YouTube, so you could search Dr. Nabil Qureshi, Rice University, April 2017, you'd get that. But we're going to start now with an introduction to the resurrection. <clears throat> it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is a huge thing, that that in order to be saved, we have to believe in our heart, that means in the depth of everything we are, that Jesus is raised from the dead. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting from verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So you see in verse two, it is possible that we believe in vain, that our belief would be vanity if we do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, I delivered to you as a first importance. The most important thing that Paul says that I'm teaching you is the resurrection. This is the most important thing that he, that Christ that, that, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, it says, And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So here he is naming specific people to whom Jesus appeared. Cephas, which is, which is, uh, the same as Peter. One, 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 uh, one is Greek, one is Aramaic. Uh, um, uh, these names. So, so he appeared first to Cephas or Peter, then he appeared to twelve, because the, the, then all the twelve together, uh, uh, Judas had already hung himself, but they had chosen Matthias. That that rounded out the twelfth. Then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And he says most of them are alive. So this is 15 or 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He says most of these 500 people are still alive. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 17, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So in other words, again, he says there can be faith in vanity. There is a vain faith. Their preaching is vain. Your faith is vain if Christ has not been raised from the dead. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ has not taken place, then our faith is in vain. He says, he goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. So if we think that we are believers and we don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible, not me, the Bible says our faith is worthless and we're still in our sins. All right, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 20, verse 24 through 25, it says, Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came to them. So the other disciples were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he had appeared to 11 of the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So they're telling, we've seen the risen Lord. And Thomas was not a person wanting to believe. Thomas was not saying, oh, let me just psych myself up. I've got to believe this. No, he was not doing that. He says, look, I'm not going to believe. Look, I won't even believe unless I stick my finger into the holes in his hands and stick my hand into the hole in his side. Because when Jesus was on the cross, after he died, the Roman soldiers were tasked by Pilate to make sure that he was dead. Roman soldiers knew how to kill people with their sword. That's what they got paid for. That was their job. Kill people with a sword, with with a spear. They knew how to do this. So he took his spear and he jabbed it upward. Jesus was on the cross, going under his ribcage, all the way up, piercing his heart, blood spewing out, blood and water spewing spewing out. He made sure he was dead. So there was a big hole in his side. Thomas said, I'm going to have to stick my hand into the hole in his side. After eight days, John chapter 20, verse 26 through 29, after eight days, His disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger, and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see me, and yet believe. So he says, "Thomas, come here. Come here." He he comes in and he says, "Thomas, you you said you wouldn't believe unless you stick your finger into the hole of my hand. Come on, do it." He made Thomas stick his finger into the hole in his hand, and then he made Thomas stick his hand into the hole in his side. All the way in into the hole in his side. And then Thomas says, "My Lord and my God." He proclaims the godship even of Jesus. And he's and 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 so You see that when Jesus was resurrected, it could not have been an imposter. An imposter wouldn't have holes in his hands. An imposter wouldn't have a hole, an imposter wouldn't have a hole in his side into which Thomas could insert his hand. It's so good that Jesus rose from the dead with the wounds still there. So we know it was not an imposter. That the one appearing bore the wounds and that the wounds were not faked through makeup. Shows that he could not have been an imposter. In Luke chapter 24, while they were telling the, verse 36, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? They thought they were seeing a spirit. I underline these sections. They thought they were seeing a spirit. That's what they thought. He wanted to put that idea to rest. They're not just seeing a spirit. He says, if you think I'm just a spirit, you got doubts in your heart. He said, see my hands, and this is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He showed it to them. He showed them his hands. He had the holes. He showed them his feet. While they still could not believe it, they still didn't believe it. Because of the joy and amazement, he said to them, you got something here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. He wanted to show them that he's real. He's alive. He says, give me something to eat. Spirits don't eat. He says, give me something to eat. And they gave him something to eat. He ate a piece of fish. He ate it before them. This is what he did. All right, so now we're gonna we're gonna go through and we're gonna look at, at just getting our backgrounds right so that we understand, so that we, we, we put our, our good brain in when we understand and we, we read the scriptures. So my entire family's listed here. There's Jim and Shireen, then there's Abrine, Sabrina, Josiah, and Ben. We're gonna go through a little exercise that's gonna help us to understand. What we can discern from a statement, and what we cannot discern from a statement. All right, Jim, Shireen, and their children left the campsite and hiked up a mountain. This is fictitious. All right, we don't go camping. My idea of camping is setting up a grill in the backyard and then coming in and eating. So, but we went. So, so so they left the campsite, hiked up a hill, hiked up a mountain. Upon reaching the mountaintop, Jim saw a dragon in a lake. Again, this is just all fictitious. When the tourists came back to Houston from the campsite, they told others about the dragon they had seen on the mountaintop. Okay, there's three statements. Did Umbreen hike up the mountain? The answer is, we don't know. From those three statements, it could have been Jim, Shireen, and Josiah, and Ben. We don't know from those statements whether Umbreen went up the mountain. Did the tourists go together up the mountain. We don't know. It's just as they left the campsite and they hiked up the mountain, whether they left in in two by two, we don't know. We don't know how they went up. It's very common that people go places. My wife and I go to church. We have separate cars and we sit in the same pew and I get there early and she gets there after the service starts. So, so, uh, uh, but if you just saw us there in the pew, you might assume we came together, but we didn't. So so you can't tell from these statements whether we they, they went up the, the, hiked up the mountain together. Did Shireen ever see a dragon? The answer is, we don't know. We, Jim saw a dragon in a lake. The tourists came back from the campsite, told others about the dragon. Maybe they told the others about the dragon that Jim had seen. Maybe, maybe just Jim and Ben saw the dragon. Did Shireen ever see the dragon? We can't tell from those statements. Did Shireen ever tell others about the dragon? We don't know. More than one of the tours said it, but we don't know if Shireen was among them. How many dragons did Jim see while on the mountain? Well, he saw a dragon in a lake, but we have no idea how many other dragons he saw. Maybe he saw uh, uh, seven dragons swimming in the lake, on the other side of the lake. Maybe he saw two dragons up in a tree. We have no idea. From those statements. Okay, so now we understand how to, how to read statements and what can be interpreted from them. So here are some records of the resurrection and questions that are raised. Matthew 28.1 says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Okay, so were there many women in the Bible named Mary? Uh, that was a very common de- name in that generation. And uh, uh, so Mary Magdalene and another Mary. We're not told which one. Two women are mentioned that they w- went up to the grave on the first day of the week. That's what it says. It doesn't say that there weren't other women. It just says there were these two women. That's all that we can get from it. <clears throat> Matthew 28.10 says, Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. And also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. So it names three women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, plus others, other women, It could have been, there could have been two other women, there could have been 200 other women. It doesn't, doesn't specify. It's just naming certain ones. So these two statements, the first two statements are not, 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 uh, incongruent. They're not, not in conflict with each other. Mark 16 verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. So it names three women. It doesn't exclude other women. None of these statements are are are, are contrary to one another. Luke 24:10 says, "Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles." So it names three women, and and uh, never names Salome. It it just says other women. Probably Salome was among them. Again, these are all all make sense with one another. John chapter 20 verse 1 says, "Now on the first day of the week." Mary Magdalene came to the, came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. It only names one woman. But again, it doesn't exclude that there were other women. This is what I'm trying to say. What happens is people read these four different gospel accounts of the resurrection and after they read it, they say, oh, the gospels are, are, are uh, um, they're all, They all conflict with one another. They do not. They do not conflict with one another. All right. Other things that raise questions. Matthew 28, verse 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Just names the angel. Mark 16, verse 5 and 6 says, Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He, he, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. So was this the same angel, this named here? We're not told. But these are perfectly fine statements. They're, they're not in contrast with one another. Luke 24 verses 4 through 6 says, When they were perplexed about these, about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Here it names two in dazzling clothing, presumably two angels. The other ones never said it was one and only one. It just named one of them. All right, some other... Other records of the, that raise questions. Matthew 28, verses uh, 7 and 8. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they, I put in there the women, left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. So here it says they ran to deport, report it to the disciples. Mark 16, verse 7 and 8. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they, probably the women he's speaking of, said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Well, look at this up here. It says they reported it to the disciples. Here it says they told nothing to anyone. But again, we don't know how many women, some women told some women did. not We'll see this. This will all begin to make sense. All right. So here are several possible initial resurrection scenarios that corroborate the four gospel accounts. This is a corroboration of the four gospel accounts. There's many ways you can put this together, but here's one. Women set out for the grave to anoint Jesus's body with spices. There were several women, including Mary Magdalene, Salome, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and one or more. So there were greater than or equal to five. Maybe there were five women Maybe there were 500 women. We don't know. But, it, but all we know that, that uh, uh, these are the ones who are named and then, and then there's, it needs to be one or more. Mary proceeded faster than the others and arrives at the grave before the others. You say, well, would, would Mary really walk ahead? Yeah, why not? When, when, when my family would go to an airport, we would all get to security at the same time and I would get to the gate like 30 minutes before any of them because I just go to the gate. They they the, the kids run somewhere and Shireen has got to get a cup of coffee and she's got to get a scone or she's got to get something and she's always got to buy something she's got to buy something from an airport and so she comes you know wandering up as we're boarding is when she comes up so people may start together others proceed faster that's not at all uncommon when 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 Shireen and I are when Shireen and I are are, are walking in the uh, in in um, in an airport. I'm always ahead of her and then I'm looking, where is she? So I stop, I wait, wait for her to catch up. Sure enough, she so, and then we walk again and I, I get way out ahead of her. She's wearing high heels. Mary sees the stone rolled away, Jesus' body missing. She sees no angel and no Jesus. She immediately turns and runs to report this to Peter and John. When Mary is away getting Peter and John, the other women arrive at the tomb the other women arriving now at the tomb see the stone rolled away and the angels telling them that Jesus is risen from the dead. Terrified, they flee and they become scattered as they run. This is early in the morning. It's, <clears throat> it's just beginning to dawn. They're running. And, and, uh, and, and you know, it's really not that far from the garden tomb to where the upper room was. Really not that far, but there's trees in the way, there's structures. So if you're, Scared and running, you're not holding hands and, and, and running together. You just run and you get, you get split up. Some, during the, the time when they're fleeing, uh, not including Mary, become divided and Jesus appears to more than one of them, but not all of them. He comforts those to whom he appears and tells them to tell the brethren, which they do. The other women who were fleeing and not present at this appearance of Jesus, continue running away and out of fear tell no one about their sighting, i.e. the moved stone and the angels at the tomb. So you see, there's some women that tell and some women that don't. While the other women are in flight from the tomb, John and Peter arrive and Mary likely running near, running near them, probably behind John and Peter. And I say probably behind, just assuming that the men are running faster than Mary, which is not always a proper assumption, but I'm just assuming that. That's, that's irrelevant for the story. But Peter and John see the grave closed, but no angel and no Jesus. John leaves for home believing, while Peter leaves for home in amazement. Mary is left standing at the tomb without John and Peter. Mary then sees and hears angels, and then sees Jesus, first thinking him to be the gardener, until he calls her name. After seeing and clinging to Jesus, she runs to tell the disciples that she's seen him. Mary's seeing of Jesus occurs moments before his appearance in number six above. So while these women are fleeing, this takes place just right after this event because Mary is the first to see Jesus. This is one of many ways that you could take those four Gospels and and string them together. If the resurrection account had been fabricated, there never would have been an account over four Gospels like this. Such an account argues against this fabrication they would have been much more duplicative if they had been fabricated. You don't see something like this if it's, you're trying to fabricate it. If the resurrection account had been fabricated, they would have waited a prudent time, like around 100 years before publishing the account. Such is the form of legends to ensure that all witnesses have died. You wait until everybody's died before you try to start a legend, or else there's all these eyewitnesses. <clears throat> but this started the early origin of the resurrection argues against its fabrication. The story of the resurrection occurred immediately, the very same morning that Jesus rose from the dead. If the resurrection account had been fabricated, they would have published the account far from the venue of its occurrence. The resurrection account beginning in Jerusalem argues against its fabrication. The resurrection account started in Jerusalem, so it argues against its fabrication. You would... you would do this in antioch or you do this in rome you wouldn't do it right there where all the witnesses are if you were trying to make this thing up there's too many witnesses <coughs> the re- <coughs> excuse me the resurrection account <coughs> had been fabricated if it had been fabricated they would there would have been more selective with the choice of witnesses they would have been more selective about this <coughs> in 1 corinthians 15 verse 5 through 8 remember it names cephas <coughs> then the 12 Named 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive. It named, <clears throat> Then he appeared to James, all the apostles, <clears throat> and last of all to me also. That's Paul speaking. So he's naming them. <clears throat> that he names the very people again, argues that this is not made up. They never would have named people saying, hey, check it out. And hallucinations are not shared. You don't have 500 people hallucinating the same thing. You don't even have 12 people You don't even have two people hallucinating the same thing. You have, you have a person might be hallucinating, but you don't have the person standing next to them hallucinating as well. Certainly not groups of people. If the resurrection account had been fabricated, they would have been more selective with the choice of witnesses. Here again, it says in John chapter 19 verse 38, And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So it names two people, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Both of them were on the Sanhedrin. That was consisted of 70 men, about two-thirds Sadducees, one-third Pharisees, plus the high priest. So 71 people. That is like using Chief Justice Roberts of the Supreme Court as a witness. You name specifically someone like this as a witness to these sort of things. This is what we're talking about. That he names these people. Both were on the Sanhedrin. The account listing the names of the witnesses argues against his fabrication. If the resurrection account had been fabricated, Mary would never have been identified as the first to see Jesus. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples... I have seen the Lord and that he said these things to her in John chapter 20, verse 18, Mark chapter 16, verse nine says now, after Jesus had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared. He first appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. He appeared to in first Corinthians 15, verse five and six. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. <clears throat> so in the gospel accounts, It specifically says Mary was the first to whom Jesus appeared. Mary Magdalene was the first to whom Jesus appeared. In 1 Corinthians, it never mentions her. It never says he appeared first to Cephas. It says he appeared to Cephas. Why doesn't Paul mention him in 1 Corinthians 15 or 20 years after the resurrection? Because Mary's testimony meant nothing. In those days, both in Israel and in Rome, a woman's testimony meant nothing in a court of law, meant nothing. And so when Paul is giving a historical account of what happened, he doesn't even mention Mary because in 1 Corinthians 15, he doesn't mention, because her testimony would be irrelevant. Well, if her testimony is irrelevant, why would the gospel writers mention her name? Well, the reason they mention her name as being the first to whom Jesus appeared, because that's the way it happened. They are just recording it as they see it. And, and and this is what happened. He appeared first to Mary when Paul is building a legal account. So this is exactly like you would do it. They would never have chosen Mary to be the first to see him if they were making the thing up. That she was the first to see them, the account listing Mary as the first witness argues overwhelmingly against the, its fabrication. They would have been, there would have been supernatural displays at the moment of Jesus' coming out of the tomb. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as, as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. <clears throat> and I put in there they fainted because they became like dead men. So when his appearance was like lightning. So, so here you see... That this angel of the Lord had this appearance, but where's the appearance of Jesus? Nobody saw Jesus walk out of the grave. Nobody. It's not recorded. If you are making this thing up, that would be the thing that you would embellish the most. That Jesus came out just rocketing out like a rocket and spinning through the air and just, here I am! I told you that I would do this! That's what he would have done. But we have no account of it. We have no account. If you were making this thing up, the account reporting no witnesses to the moment of his leaving the tomb argues against its fabrication. If if, If the resurrection account had been fabricated, the religious leaders and the guards would not have had to invent a story to cover up the resurrection. Now, while they were on their way, Matthew 28, 11 through 15, now while they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews. And it is to this day. And it is to this day in 2020. The same story that oh, the, the, the guards fell asleep and the disciples took him when he was asleep because these guards were really worried. Because if Jesus is if that Roman seal is broken and Jesus's body is missing and they don't have an account of those who are those who are uh, um, uh, those who took him. They're going to be killed for this. So they go to the Jewish leaders and the Jewish leader says, okay, make up this story. Just say his, his disciples came and took him when he was asleep. If asleep, how did they know who took the body? The religious leaders and the guards inventing and propagating such a story argues against the fabrication of the resurrection account. This is a silly fabrication because if the guards are really asleep, how do they know who took the body? They don't know. They were asleep. For all he you knows, Pilate took the body. They don't know. But when you're in a Fix. And you gotta think of a story really fast, you make up a story that doesn't even make sense. When you, when you, when you gotta think of a lie really quickly, you make up something, make up something that really make, doesn't make sense at all, and that's exactly what happened here. If the resurrection account had been fabricated, the four gospel accounts would have been more duplicative in their testimony of the events. Precise overlap in the accounting of the events speaks of collusion. So you would have the four gospel writers saying, okay, what did you write? Okay, let me make sure I have it. What did you write? Let's make sure our stories are are just really got to be the same here. They never would have constructed it in this way. Precise overlap overlap always speaks of collusion. The resurrection account reporting the events as a complementary set of records rather than a duplicative set argues against its fabrication. The apostles would be shown in a more favorable light, and not being timid and unbelieving. Mark sixteen, eleven. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Luke twenty four, <clears throat> ten and eleven. <clears throat> also the other women were with them, were telling these things to the apostles, <clears throat> but these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they were not believing them. so why would the apostles write themselves in a good way like in a way like this if they were making it up you don't make stuff up and make yourself look bad you would say the women came and told us that Jesus had risen from the dead and they were just amazed by this the apostles would have said oh well this is exactly what he said he's just doing what he said why should this amaze you no the apostles themselves report that they didn't even believe it The exposed weakness of the apostles argues against the resurrection's fabrication. If the resurrection account had been fabricated, there would have been omens and curses and threats proclaimed against those who sought to investigate. Peter proclaimed in Acts 2.32, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. He said, we are witnesses. Come examine it. He said the same thing in in Acts 3.15. 532, 1039, <clears throat> that the disciples invite inquiry through witness and that there are no omens listed for searching out the account argues against the resurrection's fabrication. <clears throat> if you were fabricating this, you would say, <clears throat> look, you better believe this because if you don't, don't try to go check it. You just better believe this. If you don't believe it, you know, you're, you're going to go blind. If you don't believe it, your firstborn is going to die. There would have been omens around this. Threats All around it for trying to investigate it. And the New Testament is so different. The New Testament says, come on, we welcome investigation. Check it out. This document holds up. Check it out. If The resurrection had been fabricated. It never would have been preached as an essential element of the new faith. Such a lofty requirement is too difficult for a religious expression. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So his rising from the dead is a requirement to be saved. First Corinthians 15, verse 17 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That belief in the resurrection was made a requirement for entry into the new faith. It speaks to the resurrection's authenticity. Because this has been so clear, he didn't just say, well, you have to believe that Jesus loved the little children. No, they put this as a barrier. It would be too incredible if you were just trying to start a new faith. Why make the entry level so hard? you got to believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead. They never would have made this as a barrier if they were just trying to make up some new religion. The apostles, upon facing death, would have recounted their testimony. Many are willing to suffer and die for what they believe. So many people, many people listening to me right now, they're willing to suffer and die for what they believe to be true. I am willing to suffer and die for what I believe to be true. But with the first generation apostles, with the apostles, it's different for them. Eleven of the twelve died for their for their testimony the 12th one, John, was was banished to the island of Patmos. Nobody suffers and dies for what they know to be a lie. You see, theirs was different. We die for what we believe to be true. They died for what they knew to be true. They saw it with their own eyes. If they knew it not to be true, they wouldn't die for it. They wouldn't suffer and die for it. When one of them was boiled in oil, two of them were flayed alive. That means you're pinned to the ground and they peel your skin off you and you're skinned like a, like a fish and, and left to die like that. You know, they'd be warming up the oil to boil you in it and, and you'd just say, well, psych, it didn't really happen. Let me show you where the body is. Nobody dies for something they know to be a lie. That the apostles were tortured and killed for their testimony of the resurrection supports the resurrection's authenticity. We died for what we believe to be true. They died for what they knew to be true. You see the difference? And this is all extra biblical accounts of the de- death of the apostles. So you say, well, you know, I'm biased. I'm, I'm just a Christian. What, what do historians really say? Well, Will Durant was, was a top historian of the 20th century. He wrote something called The Story of Cil- Civilization. <clears throat> it's like this eight or ten volume series. It's huge. It's like, like an encyclopedia. And he's not a Christian. He says, I am still an agnostic with pantheistic overtones. But he's an expert historian. So what does an expert historian have to say about these gospel accounts? He wrote this, commenting on the gospels, quote, the contradictions of them are of minutia, not substance. In essentials, the synoptic gospels are remarkably well, agree remarkably well, and form a consistent portrait of Christ. In the enthusiasm of its discoveries, the higher criticism has applied to the New Testament tests of authenticity so severe that by them a hundred ancient worthies, for example, Hammurabi, David, Socrates, would fade into legend. In other words, this higher criticism has attacked the Gospels so hard. Will Durant says that a hundred ancient worthies, such as Hammurabi, David, Socrates, would fade into legend if any document historical document had been put to the test of this higher criticism. He goes on to say, despite the prejudices and theological preconceptions of the evangelists, that means the apostles, they record many incidents that mere inventors would have concealed. The competition of the apostles for high places in the kingdom, their flight after Jesus' arrest, Peter's denial, the failure of Christ to work miracles in Galilee, the reference of some auditor's To his possible insanity, his early uncertainty as to his mission, his confession of ignorance as to the future, his moments of bitterness, his despairing cry on the cross. No one reading these scenes can doubt the reality of the figure behind them. He goes on, that a few simple men should in one generation have invented so powerful and appealing a personality, so loft and ethic And so inspiring a vision of human brotherhood would be a miracle far more incredible than any recorded in the gospel. After two centuries of higher criticism, the outlines of the life, character, and teaching of Christ remain reasonably clear and constitute the most fascinating feature of the history of Western man. This is what a top historian writes. Who's just looking at this not as a, not not a, 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 as being favoring this this faith, not as favoring this as a religion, just as a historian in the accounts of the Gospels, that that if the gospel writers could have made this thing up, could have made up the four Gospels, that would be more of a miracle than anything Jesus ever did on Earth, because it is so precise. Higher criticism could not tear it apart for two centuries. <clears throat> So, the outcome, what about us? Since the resurrection is indeed true, how should it change our lives? How should this now change our lives? So, I'm going to stop sharing the, the desktop here and just talk to you now. <clears throat> so, how should this change our lives? Now that now that we've see this. We see this 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 uh this picture that Jesus has risen from the dead. The gospel accounts are so precise. So precise are these gospel accounts we have over and over again these Gospel accounts where Jesus is referenced here that He has risen from the dead. Jesus has risen from the dead and that's why we say this is a requirement for salvation that we believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. If you don't know the Lord, I urge you, I urge you this very day to come to know Jesus, to accept Jesus as your precious Lord and Savior, to believe that he has risen from the dead, that Jesus has risen from the dead. This is what gives you entrance into salvation when we believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. If you do not know the Lord, I will spend time to you via Zoom, just me and you or me and your family. I will be glad to do that and, and share this gospel with you. And I've been sharing with people uh, uh, over the last few weeks by Zoom, and I would be glad to do it with you. You just send me an email to tour at rice.edu, and I will I will set up a time to meet with you and share with you specifically. But even better is that you receive him right now. Right now, I am going to pray, and let's just repeat this: that we are going to repeat Romans ten nine, <clears throat> and invite Jesus into our life. We're going to repeat the context. Of Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Let's pray. Pray aloud with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Come into my life. I believe that Jesus is Lord and I believe that He has risen. From the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because you rose from the dead. And now, Lord, I pray for those who are here listening. I pray, Lord, that you work in their lives by the grace and the mercies of God, that you work in their lives. Father, I pray that they be drawn closer to Jesus. I would never forget the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, work in their lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.